92% of households that join Peloton early in the year are still active a year later. Yeah, if you like cycling to EDM. Not just EDM. Try cycling to Broadway hits, take a scenic hike in Iceland on our treadmill, or row to some 80s jams. Because I have so much free time. Whether you have 30 minutes or just five, Peloton can fit any schedule. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton tread, row, or bikes risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Okay, we are back in the new year. It is January 5th as I am recording this. So happy 2020. I didn't do anything for New Year's. I was actually in bed before midnight. We were in Florida, so that was nice, but it's just, I've been so tired lately and I caught a cold the night we flew into Florida and it's still stuck with me. So if I sound weird, that is why my voice has been disappearing and showing up again periodically for the last week. So I thought I might as well record while I actually have a voice. So happy 2020, happy season two of this thing we're doing. I don't really know how to do seasons. Um, so I decided since it's a new year, I'm just going to start season two. And then we'll see where it goes from here. I'll probably just start new seasons whenever I feel like it. Just to make sure like there's not too many episodes in a season. Because then it can make things harder to find if you want to find a certain one. I don't know. I rationalized it in my mind. So that's what we're doing. Anyways, today we are getting back to an unsolved serial killer. I honestly miss researching and covering serial killers. As weird as that sounds, um, I like learning about serial killers. Actually, my boyfriend's brother bought me the like encyclopedia of serial killers for Christmas, and I was a little too excited when I opened it. Um, I think that concerned his family a little bit, but they do know I am a true crime writer and stuff, so they know I'm all interested in that, but... I, they might have been a little concerned. I also got the book Mind Hunter from someone in his family, and I'm excited to start that one. Um, I really liked the series. I've only seen the first season. I didn't go back and watch the second season yet, which I really need to do because that first season was great. Anyways, that's what I'm going to start off reading this year, and that was a tangent I didn't need to go on, but Today we are looking at an unsolved serial killer, and his name is The Doodler. So The Doodler is a weird name, right? Well, he got this name because he was known for drawing his victims before their encounters and then ultimately their deaths. A surviving victim gave the information that he began talking to this man who is suspected to be the doodler because of his doodles he was drawing on a piece of paper and this information is what caused the police to nickname the killer the doodler now you'll like some serial killers give their own nicknames such as the zodiac but otherwise police kind of look at the case and they're like all right what's something that is unique in this case and they kind of make a 
name off of that. So the doodler fit perfectly in this case. It is reported that he would catch the men he found off guard by telling them he was a cartoonist and then giving them a piece of paper with a doodle of them on it. Now, I was trying to think through this because I'm very much so an introvert. I like to sit at home. I will order in food and make my boyfriend talk to the delivery guy because I'd rather sit here and not talk to anyone all day. Um, So I was trying to like picture if I was out and I was single or something and some guy came up to me and he's like, I'm a cartoonist. Here you are. And that just, that would hit me the wrong way. I don't think that would like make me be like, oh yeah, let's go out in the alley and make out and you probably won't kill me. No, I would think that's really creepy. Now, this did happen in San Francisco in the 1970s. So at that time, it was like a very artsy scene in San Francisco. And it was also just a very different time period. So I can kind of see how this would maybe appeal to the men he was trying to get to. But now, I don't think that would pass at all. So this killer is believed, or was believed, to live in the Bay Area outside of San Francisco, and he only came into town on nights or weekends, and he searched for victims in mostly gay clubs. There's anywhere from 5 to 16, and maybe even more that we don't know of, victims of this killer. Police believe that there could be more that have not been connected to the killer. They also believe There could be more victims who survived, but they did not want to come forward because of the stigma surrounding being gay at that time. And this is another thing I see a lot. People don't mostly, okay, it's mostly in crimes that have to do with gay men. And they don't want to come out and say like, yeah, I was at this club or something, especially back in the 1970s. Like now it's no problem really. People are like, oh yeah, I was there. This guy tried to kill me. Blah, blah, blah. But in the 70s, like, people weren't as open as that. So the witnesses were few and far between. So the doodler is described as a black male, six foot tall and slender between the ages of 19 and 25. Something that categorized his crimes was that he often killed people by stabbing them in the front and the back in the same spots. Like, this is how I kind of figured it out. So, like, if he stabbed you in the belly button in the front, then he would also stab you in the back where the belly button would be, not, like, the same spot from victim to victim, if that makes sense. He only killed white males, and one was stabbed 15 times, which kind of points to a passion killing, because really only people who no other people would take the time to stab someone that much. So there is the possibility of a prior connection in that case, but it also could have just been he lost control there and went even more crazy. And a few of the victims did have their throats slit. So police believe that the killer may have murdered after feeling shame after his homosexual encounters. Like I said, in the 1970s, It wasn't, like, as widely accepted to be gay as it is now. So back then, like, people had different views, and this guy may have, well, obviously, he was a gay man, but he may have 
thought it was shameful or something of that nature and killed these victims because he was ashamed. That's kind of how the articles framed it. Upon first investigation, police did believe that there may have been three different killers for some reason. I don't really find anything to elaborate on that, but that's what I wrote down. So there we go. The killer was also described as quiet and serious with above average intelligence, but the police believe he may have had mental difficulties pertaining to sex. So he may have had like sexual abuse in the past and that may have kind of messed up his mentality a little and caused him to do these crimes. There is a sketch from 1957 when they first got a description and a possible aged sketch of the man from 2018 out right now. So they have we have two different sketches of the guy that is believed to be the killer. One from 1957, one from 2018. If you're listening to this, um, you can go check my Twitter because I will be posting both of those on there both of those on there as soon as this episode goes out. So recently, there was also the release of an audio recording from a 911 call on January 27th, 1974. The caller of this recording has remained unidentified, but they reported a man's body on Ocean Beach. Quote, I believe there may be a dead person on the beach. I thought I saw someone lying there, but I didn't want to get too close to him because you never know what could happen. End quote. When the operator asked if the man wanted to give his name, he responds, quote, No, I don't think that's necessary. I just wanted to let somebody know. Maybe he needs help or something. But I felt it was my duty to report it. End quote. Police somewhat suspect... It, okay, they haven't stated they suspect this, but from... My point of view, it seems like the police suspect the killer may have called it in himself. That would be the only reason, I think, for the release of the call is to lead to the killer. Maybe someone recognizes the voice and that leads to a certain person and then that person leads to the killer. Or maybe the voice belongs to the killer. Something in that realm. Because otherwise there's no reason to release a 911 call. As of right now, there is a $100,000 reward for this case because a lot of people are really hoping it can be closed. There are like five confirmed victims and possibly many more, so this is a case that really needs the attention and tips being brought in. In 1976, police detained a suspect, but nothing really ever came of it. He is still alive today, and he is still a person of interest today. And at the time, he was a teen slash early adult who had been released from a mental hospital in 1974. He was reported by a bartender after offering to sketch people in the bar and matching the sketch of the killer. When police got him that night, he also had a large knife on him. The suspect was apparently cooperative. There was no moving forward because the victims who were still alive did not want to testify. Now, this just blows my mind. So, he's still alive now, still a person of interest. He was released from a mental hospital right around the time the killing started, and police had already stated that they believe the killer may have some mental difficulties. He was reported by a bartender 
offering to sketch people in a bar. Andy matched the sketch of the killer. Andy had a large knife on him. This seems like the guy, but police could never move forward because certain people who were witnesses or surviving victims did not want to come forward and testify because they didn't want to be known to have been in a gay bar. And that's just crazy to me. Like, just if it's that big of a deal to you, I don't know. It shouldn't be that big of a deal to you, even in that time, because this guy could have killed a bunch of other people when someone could have stopped it. Now, I'm not victim shaming here at all. I think whatever they want to do is whatever they want to do. But if I was in that situation, I don't care like how embarrassing it would be. I would need to come forward because that would haunt me day and night. Like, what if this guy's out there killing people? What if I could have stopped it? I just wouldn't be able to do that. So recently, there has also been DNA sent in, but nothing has come of it yet. Police hope that with new technology, they may be able to use it to find the killer soon. So maybe if it leads back to this guy they had as a suspect, then they don't need the testimony of these people. They have the DNA, so that could help convict him too. It was also reported that the doodler was seeing a psychiatrist in the East Bay who went by the name priest. Investigators are still looking for this man, but it really would add up to the being released from a mental hospital like the suspect is. So let's move into the victims quick. We're going to go over the five confirmed victims because that's really all I could find information on. The first confirmed victim was Gerald Cavanaugh, temporarily known as John Doe number seven due to no identification found on the body. He was born in Canada on March 2nd, 1923 and then immigrated to San Francisco. He worked in a mattress factory there, was Catholic and never married. So he was 49 years old at the time of his death. The body was found fully clothed and in sight Slight rigor mortis in the early morning hours of January 24th, 1974. It was lying on its back on Ocean Beach. It was determined to have been conscious when he was killed and fought because there were self-defense wounds on the hands and upper body. In his pocket, he had $21.12 and a Timex on his wrist. I can't talk today. A Timex on his wrist. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So because of this, I'm mentioning the watch and the money because that kind of counts out the angle of robbery. If somebody left money and a watch, then he probably wasn't robbed. It was probably just him targeted to be killed. The second confirmed victim was Joseph J. Stevens. Jay was born in Texas and was a popular female impersonator at Finocchio's, which was once a hotspot for military and celebrities. Because of the hands-off rule, many people went elsewhere, though. At the time of his death, he was 27 years old, and his body was found in Golden Gate Park on June 25, 1974. The woman who found his body has never been identified, but called Warner Jepson, a composer, and then he called it in. Jay was stabbed three times, and there was blood in his mouth and nose. 
He was last seen leaving the Cabaret Club on Montgomery Street in the North Beach neighborhood. The third confirmed victim was Claus Christman, who was an employee of Michelin but came from Germany. He had a wife and two children but was hiding his sexuality because of the time period. He was 31 years old at the time of his death and last seen alive inside Bojangles. His body was discovered on July 7, 1974 at the bottom of Lincoln Way by Tauba Weiss, who was walking her dog. Quote, the dog was running and I followed him. I knew something was wrong. I saw a man laying there and he wasn't moving. I knew he was dead. End quote. His throat was slit in three places and this was the guy that was stabbed over 15 times. He was not identified right away, so a post-mortem photo was taken in the morgue, and that's how he was eventually identified. The fourth confirmed victim was Frederick Kappen, who was noted for saving four men who were under fire in the Vietnam War. He was found on March 12, 1975, by a hiker behind a sand dune between Vicente and Yola Streets. He was 32 years old at the time of his death. His jacket and shirt were blood-soaked when he was found. There were also stab wounds to the aorta and heart. There were marks that showed he had been dragged about 20 feet, which kind of shows some sort of staging. The last confirmed victim was Harald Olberg, who turned out to be the oldest victim at the age of 66. As a Swedish sailor, he was heavily tattooed and traveled all over the world. He was found on June 4th of 1975 by a hiker on Lincoln Park Golf Course. He had his throat slit, and he was also found with his pants unzipped and no underwear on. Apparently, he had been dead for two weeks due to maggots and larvae that were found on the body. At first, he was known as John Doe 81 due to the decomposition and insect activity. So as you can see, three of these men were not confirmed right away, which makes them even more like tragic cases because when a body goes unidentified, I don't know, it just seems a lot more sad. We also have, who was it? The third victim, Claus Christman, who died on July 7, 1974, or that's when his body was found. Um, he was the one who was stabbed over 15 times, so there may be a possible connection before the murder between him and the murderer, and that seems very interesting to me. So, the names of the other possible victims have never been released, but police firmly believe that some unsolved homicides are linked. So, I believe there's up to, like, 16 right now that are possibly the work of the doodler. And others believe that this killer did not stop killing, but just moved to a different place, as it is often hard for serial killers to stop their killing sprees because of the urges that come with it. We've seen that countless times in different interviews of serial killers. They just, they say they have that urge and they can't really stop it. And that's why a lot of people get sloppier but you never really hear of serial killers just stopping. So this is all the information we have about the serial killer nicknamed the Doodler. And police have stated in 2018 that they were connecting the dots and hoping for DNA results. So this could soon be moved to a solved serial killing case. 
I think they pretty much do have it solved without one suspect. I mean, he matched the description. He was doodling people in a bar. He had a large knife on him, and he was let out of a mental institution right before the killing started. That just all seems to line up. I really hope that if some of these surviving victims are still alive, that they do come forward. I did read that a few of them are high up in politics and very prominent in society. So they may never come forward because that could possibly tarnish their reputation a little bit or so they think. But I think it would provide closure and I think that would go to a conviction for the suspect that police have. So it is a little bit of a shorter episode, but I hope you enjoyed learning about the doodler and really go look at those sketches because who knows, you might be able to identify someone with those sketches. It has to happen to somebody at some point, right? Anyways, Thursday we will be back with a missing persons case and I hope you guys are all excited for the new year and new episodes because I am. I have a lot of fun doing this. Um, I actually just told my boyfriend that I do this and he's very supportive. So thank God he doesn't think I'm crazy or at least any crazier than he already thinks I am. But I was telling him how much I enjoy doing this and even if nothing really comes of it, it's fun for me to do because... As I'm writing true crime books, this helps me get a variety because for this, I research two cases every week. For the true crime books, I research one case or only a few. I Like right now, I'm writing one on just one case. So it can get a little, like, I don't want to say boring because it's someone's life, but it can get a little boring, honestly. Just because you're looking at the same evidence day after day after day. And sometimes I just like to jump into a new case, and this lets me do that. So thank you for listening, if you do. And go follow us, well me, I always say us, but it's really just me. <laughs> go follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved. And we actually, I actually, sorry, started an Instagram for the podcast, and that is also Great Unsolved. So go follow us on there as well, and we will see you on Thursday. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC.